This is Transistor.fm. Sometimes when people get a bunch of money, the, the, the app gets worse. It does seem that way, <laughs> strangely. <laughs> Why? How, how come that happens? Maybe they just get complacent or something. I'm not really sure. Or maybe it just gets harder as you scale up the team. How, how many people? I you think have, that's true too. Yeah, like how many people you have at at on Laravel now, full time? We're kind of in a transition period because we recently lost two people, and we're oh. like the leanest we've ever been. Whoa! Um, so right now it is one, two, three. It's like four of us. Okay. No, five of five of us, including um, yourself. Not counting like my. Yeah, including myself, but not counting like my co-founder of Laravel Nova. I guess you could say like five and a half to six. Yeah. Yeah, we lost two developers, essentially. Um, one, I think, was just kind of like burned out on development. Maybe both were. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then the other was kind of in the uh, kind of in a sort of a life transition of moving to a new place, um, kind of start, starting fresh in a new location and like was pursuing some opportunities there, I think in person, not even remote. Oh, wow. So we are bringing on several new people to sort of um, um, get back to like our normal, you know, our normal staffing level. Um, because right now it's like if we lose one more person or even if just someone gets sick, like we're in trouble pretty much in terms of maintaining what we have. Yeah. Is when you say several, do you mean like, like six, or you mean like two or three, or yeah? So right now I've got um, three people signed on. One of them is part time, and they're all starting. Two of them are starting in April, and then one is not starting until June. Um, so um, two of the developers um, are starting in April, and they're going to work on like. Laravel Forge, which is our biggest product, as well as some open source Laravel stuff. And then um, a guy is starting in June that's going to help out with Laravel Vapor, which is like our serverless deployment tool for Laravel. Yeah. Um, I try to, I, I like ideally, um, when we were really small, I liked having one person dedicated per project. But as we've gotten bigger, like it's really ideal to have two or more people per like commercial entity that we're serving customers with just so people can take vacations or whatever. Yeah. Is that stuff is that stuff stressful for you like hiring managing people uh, how do you manage all that? Yeah, it is stressful. It's partly stressful because I don't like to talk on the phone. And like, <laughs> and um, <laughs> when you're hiring, it's like, you know, you feel obligated to have like these Zoom calls and these sort of like formal interviews. And I just hate that, yeah. you know? It's not necessarily stressful finding talented people because I think there are a lot of talented people out there in the Laravel ecosystem, I think what's a little bit stressful is making sure that once they get here, they're not like, well, this blows. You know, like, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's not like it just sucks and they hate it. Like ideally they get here and, um, you know, they're happy and feel, feel fulfilled and are interested in what they're working yeah. on. And I think, it's, it's, I think that's been tough for Laravel in particular because Laravel has like... Um, it's done a lot for developers in the PHP ecosystem and they just, a lot of them just love it. You know what I mean? Because it, it's like Tailwind and CSS. It just like revitalized their whole view of this language and ecosystem. Um, and so like they imagine, I think a lot of them probably imagine, man, working at Laravel must be like going to Disneyland. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just, it must be amazing every day. Yeah. And the reality is it's, I do think it's, better than most development jobs in the sense that it's pretty laid back, it's pretty flexible, it's fully remote. Um, we do work on Laravel and its products itself. So if you're interested in Laravel, you kind of get to contribute directly. But like, there's still a lot of just normal work stuff too. Like there's bugs we have to fix, there's support tickets we have to respond to, you know? Um, and I think that, I don't know, I've, I've tried to be upfront this hiring round about, you know, what we do here and what people will be working on. So it doesn't necessarily feel like you're coming to Disneyland. Yeah. But that's hard too, because I don't want to like be a downer right out of the gate. Be like, well, this is a normal <laughs> job. It's going to suck, you know? <laughs> um, so it's hard to find like a good balance, but that's definitely what stresses me out the most, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I think you would have the additional pressure because so many people know you. Like when you give a keynote at a Laracon, it feels like Steve Jobs is giving a keynote. Like everybody is there. And you do have a certain amount of gravitas, you know? And mm-hmm. it, it would almost be like, in some cases, maybe going and being a roadie for your favorite band. It's like, they're your favorite band, but now it's at the end of the day, you got to haul cables and... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like the drummer doesn't wear deodorant and like, <laughs> um, you know, there's just like trash everywhere. Yeah. Um, I don't, it's, yeah, I, I think you're right. It is kind of like that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I still think it's better than a lot of development jobs. It's better than other development jobs um, I've had, like in terms of just flexibility and projects to work on. But it, it, at the end of the day, it is still a job. Yeah. And and what's your pipeline look like? Do you just have a list of people you're keeping an eye on? Or how do you source hires like for transistor everybody we've hired and we've only hired two people and some contractors but they're all people i know and have had like a relationship with you know multiple years or john has known and has you know worked with before or something so how do you do that yeah it's it's definitely part partly that um so we i actually did just put up like a job listing traditional job posting on larajobs.com which is run by Ian over at Userscape yeah and so people applied and the people we ended up going with two of them i knew um we we weren't like best buddies or anything, but I yeah. interacted with them in the Laravel ecosystem. They had contributed, maybe they'd written some blog articles or whatever. One of the one of the um, candidates is um, someone I had heard of. I didn't really know them honestly yeah. that well, so it was more just like um, some of the people that worked here had interacted with him a little bit and had good things to say, and then. I didn't mention this earlier, but I'm actually looking at bringing on another person that's not really finalized yet to focus just on customer support, sort of like a head of customer support. And this person I actually don't know very well at all. Okay. Um, so, but but most of the people that work here uh, is kind of like you. Um, yeah. I had heard of them or I knew of them. I didn't necessarily approach them first, but they just happened to apply to the job posting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, one thing about Laravel that's, that is fascinating to me is that so much incredible talent has kind of incubated in the Laravel community. And like, even for me as, you know, I'm somewhat technical, but not super technical. I could just tell, like some of these people are just exceptional. I I tried to hire Miguel Piedrafita, you know, like it was just like, this kid is, he's on fire, you know? And uh, you got Caleb Porzio with Alpine stuff, doing incredible work. I mean, Adam and Tailwind and everything that he's done has come out of the, the Laravel ecosystem. So it's just like all these incredible people. So I, I see that Aaron Francis just got hired by Tuple as their head of marketing, I think. And right. all of these really exceptional people that have kind of bubbled up. And if you, if you trace their roots, they go back to Laravel. And yes, yeah, so I'm always wondering for you, like, is it just like, cause every, and you're quite social at Laracon, like you're walking around, you're seeing people, you're sitting, having lunch with them. Do you, is that part of it? Are you, are you starting to like keep an eye on people or is it more just like when the time comes to hire, you're, you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta brainstorm or I gotta just put up an ad and see who applies. Yeah, it's, it's both like. I'm always open to like surprises. So I don't want to go into like hiring with preconceived ideas of who I think I should hire. Yeah. But I definitely, you know, am keeping an eye out and and familiar with who's who in the Laravel ecosystem. And it changes over the years. You know, there's, there's a lot of new faces in the Laravel ecosystem that are like, um, you know, have done a lot of cool things recently. And like Aaron Francis that you just mentioned is kind of one of them. Like, I don't really... I don't know how long he's been using Laravel, but to me, he's he doesn't. I don't remember him as like a Laravel OG. You know what I mean? Like he seems like pretty recent um, up and comer in the ecosystem. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of have people in mind. Like when I put a job posting out, I'm like, hmm, I kind of hope they apply. You know? Um, yeah. And so yeah, definitely. It's, it's time for like another. It's time for another Laracon 
because the it, <laughs> for for me that's like where I mean you could have Jack Ellis talk about like fathom now now the the one thing that I noticed at the previous Laracons there was examples of SaaS companies using Laravel like Carthook was using it and some other people were using it but it seems like in the indie SaaS world the number of examples of like popular or successful indie SaaS apps that are using Laravel has really grown. And now you've got all these cool use cases about people who have been building in public using um, Laravel Vapor to build Fathom and like scale these crazy, like an analytics company. Like who would have, like who would have thought mm-hmm. that somebody would be doing that? There's a, there could be some really cool talks at, I know they've been speaking at Laracon online, but they, mm-hmm. Like there's really nothing like Laracon. Are, are you are you going to do another one soon? Yeah, I think so. Um, we're going to definitely do one in Europe this year. Um, oh, cool! As far as the U.S. goes, man, I don't know like when the best timing is going to be. Yeah, it's kind of late in the game for this summer. Yeah. Um, and I actually, so I actually had a venue reserved for um, July. I think it was um, penciled in, and then like at the beginning of the year, Omicron kind of like just was getting going. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was still unclear, like how serious that was going to be at the time. I think it, I think in hindsight, like it ended up being milder than, I mean, we, we had hoped it would be, you know, mild and it kind of turned out that way a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I kind of was at a, it was a point in time in the year where like I needed to like decide, am I going to do Laracon or not? And with just so many unknowns, I just, I just like backed out of that venue. So I kind of lost it for the summer. So I, I agree with you though. Like, I think not having in-person conferences, not just Laracon, but just in general, like took more wind out of the sails from people than maybe people have realized. Like just in the PH the PHP ecosystem in general, there used to be other PHP conferences besides Laravel. And and you know, they happened every couple months in various locations. Different people would run PHP conferences. And I think without having those for two years, I've just noticed that in the PHP ecosystem in general, people don't seem like as fired up, like outside of the Laravel world. Interesting. And I don't know, I you know, I, I don't know if it's just like I expected it to not really matter that yeah. there wasn't conferences, in-person conferences. And I'm suspicious that like it mattered more than I expected in terms of seeing people face to face. And you know, like when you leave a conference, you just feel kind of jazzed up and like ready to work on things or like work on new ideas. Yeah. And I think not having that for a couple of years has been like more detrimental than people may realize for some yeah, people. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I got fired up. I remember the first time I went to Laracon, I just, I was fired up on multiple levels because like just, you've got your story, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And if people haven't heard that other interview that we did, uh, go back and listen to it. But your story is just like, it's the classic bootstrapper story. You know, you like got married young, you had kids young. And I know what it's like to have that hunger to be like, I got to make something, you know, I got to like stay up and burn the midnight oil on this cheap laptop and try to build something. And then you did it and it didn't just work. It like really worked, you know? And so your story is interesting from a kind of indie bootstrapper perspective. And then you've just got the business of, Laravel, which is super unique because you have an open source project, but then you have this like uh, ecosystem of really successful indie SaaS apps, right? You've got Forge. And let me see, is it, Forge is the most profitable? Mm-hmm. Forge and then Vapor and then Envoyer and uh, Nova. And then Nova. And, and Spark. And Spark, yeah. yeah. So there's actually five commercial things. Yeah, and like each of those could be a business unto themselves. Yeah, uh, actually, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and you've been running those with a pretty lean team. Yeah, very, I mean, very lean, I think, compared to what, like, it's almost like, I remember in the Laravel documentary, um, there was a section where Adam Wathen was like, Laravel is like, you know, four people running five SaaS companies, which is just ridiculous. And I think yeah. it, like it is there actually just, if, uh, just about a month ago, it kind of hit me like this is the way I'm running Laravel is like laughable. Um, <laughs> we, uh, any other company that was 
you know, making um, millions of dollars in revenue would have like a dev team of like 15 people. Oh, you know what I mean? Least. Like if you go out to, if you go out to like the competitors for Laravel Forge and go to like, you know, their little about page or their team page, it's like 30 effing people. <laughs> and it's just, and then we, you log into Laravel and it's just like on Forge, it's just like James, one guy. <laughs> and it's just like, what am I doing? And so that's why, that's really what kind of kicked off. Like I've got to get a few more people at least uh, on board here um, yeah. just so we can like have more velocity and make more progress and really kind of take things to an even another level and be better um, than we've ever been. Yeah. Um, Cause we were just way, we're just way too lean right now. Um, and I think because I was scared um, I, because I wasn't, I've never been a manager before, you know, I started Laravel and I wanted to keep people happy and I wanted to like make sure that, um, I didn't get overwhelmed, but it's just not possible to run the company so lean like this, I don't think, anymore. How, how do you, like, when you work with the team, how how often do you work with them? Are you doing, like, team meetings every week? Are you doing one-on-ones? Are you doing <sighs> Dude, pair programming? Okay. Get, get this. <laughs> we just We just had our first team call ever, <laughs> like... Last week or two wow. two weeks ago, because I, I was on spring break last week. Yeah, we had never had like a full team call, and that was part of me just saying, "What the heck am I doing?" Yeah, you know, like I've got to stop. I've got to start treating this like a real company. Like I've got to start <laughs> being like a real boss. <laughs> um, I've got to like put away my like meeting phone anxiety and just get on Zoom and like have some actual. Um, audio conversations with the team, you know? Yeah. Do you think they were missing that? I think they, I mean, they said they enjoyed it. I think they liked it. And I think like, it just makes everything feel a bit more tangible, you know? Mm -hmm. Like we had been working in Slack together for years yeah. without doing that. Like literally two or three years. Um, and it was just like, this is, I'm just being stupid by not doing this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we did that. But uh, as far as like working directly with them in terms of coding and writing features, um, I don't do a lot of that. I, I do all of like the kind of the review, the code review of the features they write, and kind of kind of QA them and test them and see how they're looking. Um, and we do have like daily check-ins um, where everyone kind of types up a little, a few sentences or a paragraph about what they did that day, so everyone can kind of see what everyone's working on. Um, but one of the goals with bringing on new people also was to kind of build up a little bit more of a pair programming culture here at Laravel. Cool. Um, so it's like, if we have two people working on vapor, I don't necessarily intend to, for them to both be working on two separate projects. Like I might assign a project to vapor and then they both like pair on it and work on it because I just think the, the quality and like figuring things out is going to be faster and better mm -hmm. with two people working on it. And they both learn how that feature works, you know? Um, so I think I'm going to try to encourage that. And we use tuple here at Laravel for that kind of thing. Um, try to encourage that when those new people get here. You're still building a lot of the, like the big products. Like the initial release is still mostly you, right? Uh, as far as when they first came out. Yeah. 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 Like I, I built initial all version of vapor. of vapor. Yeah. Yeah. Like I coded the whole thing. So like when I read the code, it still looks like pretty much my code, you know? Um, uh, same with forge. Like I wrote it by myself back in 2014 or whatever. Yeah. Same with Envoyer um, and, and Spark too. Um, so I've, I've always kind of taken like the R&D role at the company of kind of spiking out new projects and definitely new commercial projects. Um, and then once they're out, the team kind of comes in and, and kind of takes it from there, you know. But I haven't, la I haven't launched a new commercial project since Vapor in um, 2019. Um, we'll get... I want to get back to that in a second, but I, I just logged back into Forge. We use Forge at Transistor for deploying our marketing site, and then my personal site's been on Forge for a long time, but you don't need to log into it. You set it mm -hmm. up once, and then you're pretty much good to go, right? But yeah. I, last time I was in there, I noticed a bunch of UI updates. So something like that, where the UI gets 
a facelift. Who whose idea is that? And then who assigns it? Who decides who's going to work on it? And then how does that actually come to, you know, get out the door? Is it somebody on the team saying, hey, I'd like to freshen this up? Or Yeah, so that was a pretty big project. And that one was my idea. Um, so I wanted to, I was kind of going through a lot of our commercial stuff and just sort of giving it a fresh coat of paint. Mm -hmm. And Forge was kind of next on the list. And so I reached out to the designer we were contracting at the time um, and said, hey, I want to redo the Forge UI. And I worked with them kind of without the involvement of the team super directly to get the... I worked I worked with the designer to kind of get the mock-ups ready to get it all ready to go in Figma. And I got some feedback from the team like as we were going, of course, um, but I was kind of the one spearheading getting that design figured out. Um, once the design was done, I like just got in Slack and was like, you know, I, I, at the time we had a couple of people working on Forge um, and I was like, you know, who wants to tackle this? Or, or maybe it may have even said that like y'all can work on it together. And uh, Claudio, Claudio, one of our developers um, who's, who's since moved on to other things, he was like, oh, I really want to tackle it. Like I really want to knock that out uh, myself. And so he kind of took the reins on doing that whole project himself and um, actually did a really good job on it. Um, and I'm really happy with how that turned out. But yeah, that's pretty much how something like that went down. And when you give it to him, he just takes it and just knocks it out, and then you just review his PRs every day or every week or something? Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much how it goes, yeah. Do you think you're going to be, like, your willingness now to hire more people, <laughs> jump on a call, uh, start doing meetings, is that something, like, you're excited to push yourself to do or are you feeling like I just got to take this seriously what what's your kind of feeling as the CEO and manager and HR officer and everything else at Laravel I actually do feel excited about it and I think it's going to be good for me personally to sort of push myself out of my previous comfort zone and kind of um, get used to new ways of doing things and I think Within the over the last few months, I've had a lot of different thoughts about like where Laravel is, where web development is in general, how Laravel fits in to the next ten years of web development, and there have been times where I've entertained like maybe maybe I should like sell a big chunk of Laravel's commercial properties, say eighty percent of the company oh, wow. to some. Um, to some entity that does that kind of thing. You know, there's several out there. And then I'll stay on board as like kind of adv an advisor and also still sort of steer the open source side of things. But let someone with more like business um, acumen and sort of more managerial experience mm -hmm. dictate the business end of things, you know, in terms of marketing, in terms of hiring even marketing people or community people or support people or whatever, they think we need to like take the company to the next level. Yeah. And I'll just stay on board and kind of give feedback on that end as necessary, but mainly steer like the open source side of things. Um, and just take a lot of money like off the table. Um, and so I actually, um, I've never talked about this publicly so far, but I actually got, you know, some offers on dollar values in terms of people that were interested in doing that. And obviously it was a, it was a big chunk of money, um, but I, I did, like thought about it for weeks and eventually decided like, you know what, I think I'm going to just go down with the ship. Like I'm going to be the guy playing the violin on the Titanic, basically, <laughs> all the way down. Because, and I kind of pictured it like, I kind of built this thing from scratch and I really would prefer to just see it all the way through. Um, one, just to, just to see like how it ends, how the story ends for myself. And then also to be like the last person that turns off the lights, you know, on the way out of the store mm -hmm. for the last time. Yeah. Um, which I think what I would find really satisfying and I don't know how many years that will be, but I think once I decided I wanted to be that way, yeah. um, then I sort of committed myself to, okay, then if I'm going to do that, I need to change some things and explore like some new territory in terms of what I'm comfortable with and how we've done things in the past. And I need to really embrace being, um, a better manager, a better leader, a more visible, you know, manager, 
manager. Yeah. Just for the sake of the team and like to build um, kind of a different atmosphere and a different culture around here. Hey, do you want to start your own podcast? Head over to Transistor and use my coupon, transistor.fm slash Justin. You'll get 15% off your first year of podcast hosting. Yeah. That must have been super clarifying once you decided, because if you're in limbo and you're like, oh, I could sell it, that's a very different direction than like choosing, I'm going to point my ship this way and I might go down with the ship, but you know, it, it definitely cl- clarifies some things, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think like my decision may have been different five years ago, you know, mm-hmm. um, if I had gotten offered a big chunk of money because I wouldn't have saved as much money already. Yeah. Um, and it would have been truly like a more life-changing event. Yeah. Um, but now it's like, since I've been running the company for seven or eight years, I've had the opportunity to sort of stash away retirement funds and and sort of set myself up to where even if I sold the company, it's like, m- does my life really change in any meaningful way that's yeah. like satisfying? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm probably just going to be like bored, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and also, I, I think I would feel bad, you know, that like these people, they believed in Laravel. And in a lot of sense, Laravel is very wrapped up in like, me as a person and like this personality cult almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would, would they feel like betrayed, you know, that yeah. Taylor sold off a big chunk of the company and it's not the same anymore. And yeah, you know, it was always, it's cause it's always been sort of this underdog thing, I think, where it's just such as it is such a lean team and it's just like, you know, delivering a lot of value for people. Does that part, does that part, the, the personality cult stuff, does that, is that hard for you ever or is it been okay? Sometimes it, sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not, you know? I mean, um, I think it helps people feel, it has benefits and drawbacks. I think some of the benefits are it helps people feel like attached to the framework in some way or like attached to the story mm-hmm. and they get inspired by it and it sort of inspires them to pursue their own bootstrapped ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it's like any criticism of Laravel becomes sort of like criticism of you. Yeah. Um, and so like if I put a feature out that's bad, um, since it's not a very big team effort sometimes, it's like, wow, this sucks. is very much like Taylor sucks as a coder yeah. or as a developer. Yeah. Um, which, is kind of, which is kind of painful sometimes, but I think you get used to it over like a period of years. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you deal with that? Like do you just ignore it or do you just, do you just get so much inbound and so many mentions that it's just easy to not pay attention or, I mean, some people really struggle with that. You know, it, the, the, right. the personal stuff is like, it, uh, it really gets them down and other people, it doesn't seem to bother them as much. I wonder if it's just like a callus, you know, that just like over time, it's just like your soul is just scarred yeah. you know, <laughs> and it's un- unable to feel pain any longer. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I think like, okay, I mean, it just depends. Like if the, if the criticism is constructive and helpful, um, that doesn't actually bother me very much at all. If the criticism is like from this really hateful place, um, I tend to think like a lot of people online that come from this place of like anger and bitterness and hatred are in like a really dark place, uh, personally, you know, um, you don't really know like what's going on in their lives. Um, you don't really know like their backgrounds. And so I try to like remember that and not take it too seriously. Um, because a lot of people are just going through a rough time, you know, like honestly, um, maybe they have a rough home life a rough family life a rough like relationship. And it's just, they're not coming from a healthy place. Um, yeah, I found that helpful too. That's important to remember, I think. Yeah, every once in a while. I'll, and I mean, people starting out, this is hard for them too because any sort of feedback just seems amplified. Like if you hear something good, yes. it's just like, oh, it just feels better than anything. And if you feel something bad, it's like it it's debilitating. But as you get more yeah. experience and more messages, like volume – Actually, I mean, it doesn't solve every problem, but sometimes more volume is just nice <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like if if I get 100 messages a week, people talking about Transistor and, you know, 
two are bad, it's like, well, who cares? 98 people liked it. But if I only get two messages right. a week and that week one person hated it, it's like, fuck. You know, it just makes you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, it, it's. I, th- I think also like it, it. It's what I found interesting is it kind of works like it's hard to keep percentages like in your mind. Um, so like if Laravel, if the Laravel Twitter account has one hundred twenty thousand followers or whatever, and a couple people tweet something bad, it's like such a minuscule percentage. Um, and what I found interesting is like, it kind of works the other way too. Like I've had to kind of coach the team a little bit where just because three people like request a feature, um, not necessarily the Laravel employees, but people will be like, a lot of people want this. A lot of people are asking for this and it's like five people. Yeah. And in the context of like the whole Laravel ecosystem, it's just like a blip, you know? And I think when you're, when I've had to get used to that as well, like when you're first bootstrapping, a business, there's so many features that you could build. You know, there's so many ideas that you could pursue. And if you're, if you're constantly swayed by like a, a tweet here and there, it's just like, you're going to be so pulled so many different directions. Yeah, it's true. And it, all that gets amplified. Like when you only have a few yes. voices in the room, uh, you know, it's easy for one of those voices to be real loud. Uh, but yeah, if you have a thousand people in the room, you know, it's almost like if you're at a, it's like, ah, I don't know what the metaphor is, but if, you, if you've ever been at a concert where everybody knows the song and they're all singing it at the same time, that's kind of like what a, a good feature request feels like. It's just like everybody at the same time singing the song. You're like, okay, I can, I can tell you want it. But if one guy at the front is like, play, you know, play that one song off your third album and nobody else <laughs> wants it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not going to play that B side for you know. It's a, it's okay. Yeah. To end, to end, I want to talk a little bit about. I listened to your interview with Tobias or Tobias's interview with you, mm-hmm. and there's this one part that just kind of confused me, and I think it's because I'm uninformed. So you on the Alpha List podcast, you were, had this conversation about the future of the full stack developer, mm-hmm. and the reason it confused me is in the indie SaaS world, it's all about the full-stack developer. Like, full-stack developers, that's what you want. You know, John Buda is just an incredible Rails developer. He's a good enough designer, and he's just got an incredible product sense. That's even more full-stack, you know? And mm-hmm. the that's who you want to build a business with, Right is those kinds of people. Right. Uh, you've got you got Jack Ellis and you've got Paul Jarvis with Fathom. You know, Jack Ellis, full stack developer. He's He could build that whole first version two, one, two, and three, or whatever he did. And so it the, the idea that there's like, there's something else going on in the developer ecosystem that I'm not aware of. Is it like bigger companies are moving more to like, a separation of front end and back end or what's going on in there that I don't understand. Bro, I wish I wish <laughs> I knew. So like here's the thing. I think partly it's very hard to tell like what is real in web development because you're on Twitter and certain things are amplified that do not they're not um they're being amplified on Twitter but like the correlation to real life is not the same as Twitter. So like on Twitter, it feels like everyone's building React frontends. Yeah. They're calling APIs and GraphQL APIs or Firebase or whatever else they're using. But I know deep down, the reality is 99.9% of web applications are not that. Yeah. And so I, but I think like me and Adam have talked a lot about this. It's like, and, and we're just so confused um, because the kinds of things that like the makers in that space are building are not things like Vapor and Transistor and Forge. They're much like simpler things. Yeah. So it, it's been hard for me. And this is something where I have to like, stay really grounded and not get pulled a lot of different directions because deep down I know like Laravel and Rails and like full stack development is like the bread and butter of real, most real things happening on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, But on Twitter, it can just, like you said, it's just like a magnification thing where it feels like 
man, everyone's just kind of doing something else now. I don't, I think you're right. Like, I don't think that's actually the case necessarily. So is it a little bit of pressure from like, you just feel like the young kids are getting into this new stuff and there's some of that pressure? Like, yeah, I think it's true that like the young kids are not, are, are all starting with JavaScript. Yeah. Um, as their fir- as their first language, and they're kind of building their first websites or web apps or whatever with JavaScript, and maybe they're getting more into backend later. Whereas, like people that are um, our age didn't necessarily start that way. A lot of them started with like a scripting language on the back end, actually, mm-hmm. um, like PHP or like Rails or something like that, and that's kind of how they got into web development, and they learned JavaScript later when they needed to do more complicated front-end stuff. And it's like all the kids are learning JavaScript first and they're learning back-end later when they need to do more complicated back-end stuff. So it's kind of reversed. And so, and a lot of the, I think a lot of the younger demographic is just more active and more excited and more uh, public on Twitter. And so it kind of feels like um, things have changed and shifted in that way. This is like something I've talked to Adam Wathen about is it's a, it's a big project, but like if, if, if Adam hired me, like let's say Transistor just drove into the ground and Adam's like, hey, you come work over here and see what you can do. The biggest thing for Adam is you want a pipeline of people, hopefully young people, that are super excited about Tailwind. And in order to uh, grow or uh, uh, incubate that kind of a pipeline, you'd need to plant some seeds. You need to like sponsor some boot camps. You need to like get a bunch of steps along the way so that by the time these kids graduate and you know they're they're super excited about bringing some new ideas to whatever company hires them, they're saying, "No, Tailwind's great, you know?" And mm-hmm. I wonder if for whatever like the JavaScript community has done a good job of getting into boot camps mostly. And yeah. um, I almost feel it on the hiring side, like to hire a good Rails developer right now, they're all in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's like, how could we hire a young, someone young in their 20s uh, who knows Rails? And there aren't any. And so it, it, it's almost like there needs to be some community some community work there in the sense of like mm-hmm. planting some seeds early on and getting people excited about, you know, building web apps these ways, because they, you know, <laughs> eventually they're going to, they are, I mean, you can go work at, you know, whatever, one of these startup companies and they'll probably be excited about the new stuff. But there's a lot of like old crusty grumpy guys like John Buddha, who's like, I, I don't want JavaScript in my like we have so little, you know, like that was, and we, but finding young developers that are excited about it. Yeah. And we, uh, we've even talked about, um, we being Adam and I, like, um, when we talk to some of these newer developers, um, we realize like they've, they've never written like a database query. You know what I mean? They've never, or they've never written a job that runs in the background yeah. um, and does stuff. And so, like, we were question, we were talking to um, some kind of um, prolific figures in that community, and we kind of pointed that out. Like, hey, it feels like you know a lot of these developers are really talented, but like they don't know how to query a database. Yeah, and they saw that as like, why? Why should they know? You know, like, why should they know? And it's like, well, um, if you're working on like 99 percent of existing <laughs> web apps, yeah. like you're gonna have to know how to query a database. Like, I don't, you know, there's it, the world is not actually running on Firebase. Yeah, um, it's running on MySQL. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I don't know, but like, I, I don't, I also don't want to be like a curmudgeon that's just like always hating the new stuff. Like you and your, I hate the new fancy rap music, you know, like I don't want to be like, like that. It's just, yeah, it's not a good vibe. And like, I want to figure out like, how can Laravel fit in to this sort of new crowd in a way that is compelling and makes sense. And I think you're right that it's actually smart to plant seeds like at the front of the pipeline so that um, when people do want to do like, 
kind of graduate to some kind of complicated back end stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, Laravel would be a natural choice. Yeah. You know? And they kind of land in our ecosystem that way. Yeah. I appreciated that part of your interview with Tobias. You were saying, you know, I want to, I still want to be open to something being there. It's like, I've been super critical of Web3. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, See, he, there's two sides of this. Like people say, well, I don't want to hear any negativity on Twitter or hating or whatever. It's like, right. yeah, but on the other hand, it's okay to have some people pushing back on ideas. You know, not all new mm -hmm. ideas are good. And the whole idea <laughs> of having free speech is so we can test ideas in the comments. Let's have it out. Let's talk about the pros and the cons. And for sure, older people, uh, we are more attached to old ideas. I know that's true, but, and we can be mm -hmm. open to new ideas, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't challenge them either, you know? So there's like this balance there right. that I find sometimes is difficult, but I think we do need to be open to new stuff. I'm still open to this idea that, you know, in a decade, there's going to be something that comes out of Web3 that's incredibly compelling. Um, I haven't seen it that's yet. That's not buying drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll be like, I need to buy drugs, and I'll be like, shit, I should have learned some Web3. That's the only way you can buy them now. <laughs> yeah. So I like that. Um, and, yeah, I agree pretty much. And, I mean, it's probably for you, it's probably also worth returning to your youth and thinking through the reason you and your buddy chose PHP in college was because it was the thing. He was like, this is the the coolest, easiest, funnest way to build a website or web application. And mm -hmm. that's just branding. You know, that's just uh, PHP, whether intentional or not, at the time being like, are you going to build it in Perl or are you going to build it in PHP? And it's like, well, we're going to build it in PHP. Are you going to build it in .NET uh, and have to buy a license? No, you're going to build it in PHP. And so some of that's just branding and uh, maybe Rails and Laravel and these other things, it's just about branding. It's, it's about saying, yeah. you know, this isn't uncool. It's actually, from an indie, like, punk rock, bootstrap kind of perspective, it is the coolest shit because you're going to be able to build stuff on your own and maybe make a life for yourself uh, outside of having to work for Facebook for the rest of your life. Yeah, and when you were just saying that, one of the key words that stuck out to me was easy. It was the easiest at the time. Yeah. And I think um, going forward, I'm trying not to um, like rest on our laurels and assuming that Laravel is easy yeah. for, for new developers. Um, and so one of the, the, one of the new hires we're bringing on is um, a woman in Australia named Jessica Archer. And actually oh, one of yeah. the, one of the first, her. yeah. So one of the first projects that I've kind of already given her like a sneak peek like hey i think it would be cool if you worked on this when you get here is basically taking dhh's like build a blog in rails tutorial and really revitalizing that for laravel and for the web ecosystem as it stands today so like maybe it uses maybe it does use react with inertia on the front end yeah but it uses laravel on the back end and how to build that in a single repository so that it feels really great and make it all really really accessible really interesting and catchy and you know attractive um, in terms of marketing and branding so that we can actually ensure that laravel feels like the easiest way to get started building a serious full stack web application because i think for the past few years, I've sort of assumed like, well, of course it's easy. Like go to the documentation and read it. And I think I've kind of realized like, okay, well, I have to go to the installation page and read how to install it. And that seems easy. But now I have to go to a different page to read about how to get stuff out of the database. And then I have to go to a different page to read about how to like validate my forms. And it's like, man, it would be really great if we just had one cohesive build a build a blog style tutorial but probably not a blog since i think that's kind of like old school web um, that actually walked you through a cohesive story of like shipping something maybe all the way to laravel vapor on one page and walked you through the whole process and made it really simple yeah um so that's uh, we're doing a lot of work behind the scenes on that right now on um, laravel vapor um, and i think vercel has really inspired us 
in that regard to make vapor even easier to onboard. Um, because that's one of the things that Vercel has done really well is like if you have a, a next application or whatever, and you just can deploy it so quickly and so easily. So we're, we're trying to do that. And I think um, I'm excited about that, you know, to try to ensure that we actually are the easiest because I think it's, you know, as you get older and as you've used things more, you just kind of assume things are easy when they no longer are. Well, um, and even thinking back, if you listen to any podcast, if you listen to you, how you got started, if you listen to so many people say, well, I got started, I got interested, I got hooked when um, b Flash, programming stuff in Flash, or programming stuff in HyperCard, or programming stuff mm -hmm. in uh, Microsoft Access. You know, like tons of people got started like that. And right. th the reason is if you're 12 and you want to build something, you want it to be easy and fun and accessible. Like those are the three things. If it costs too much money, I can't do it. If it's not fun... I can't do it. And if I can't get something on the page where I feel the magic, like in podcasting, mm -hmm. the magic is when people publish their first episode, submit their whole feed to Spotify, and now they're in the Spotify app with Justin Bieber and everyone else, right? They can show their friends like, hey, look mm -hmm. at this on my phone. I'm, I'm in Spotify. That's the magical part. The magical part with anything you've built yourself self is like showing people, like, look at this, look at this program I built in HyperCard, you know, look how fun this is. And, um, yeah, I, I love that idea. Are, are you, do you know what you're going to build it around? Is it, you said it's not going to be a blog. What is it going to be? No, I actually don't know. Um, and that's something I'd like for me and Jess to figure out together. I just feel like blog feels like very web 1.0, you know, yeah. and uh, nobody actually does that anymore. Like no, very. I feel like very few people even blog in that style anymore. You know. The one thing though is that it, this is so hard to like figure out. Teenagers, I've got. I'm gonna have four teenagers this summer. My youngest turns 13, so I'm gonna have 13, 14, 17, and 19 all in the same house. And figuring out the zeitgeist of what is cool right now is tricky. But one of the things that's in the mix right now is old 90s stuff is super cool. Like old 90s clothes, old 90s music, all that stuff. I could see a return to like MySpace type things, GeoCities type things. Um, mm. People might wanting to go back and try out Tumblr or whatever. Uh, I bought each of my kids their own domain name. And just recently, they've all been a little bit more interested in it. Like, huh, like how would I do... A web, like, how would I build a site, you know? And yeah, I think those projects where kids can build something and feel good about it, whether it's, you know, a simple application, a blog, a website, uh, you know, whatever it is, something that makes it that's cool that they can show their friends. Yeah, there's something in there. I, I mean, you're probably right, especially like. The one thing I've noticed is that like Facebook is not cool, no. you know, anymore um, with young people. Um, so I think that does leave like a huge opening for something else yeah. in terms of this place to share more long form thoughts, you know, yeah, like you would do on like a Tumblr or maybe a MySpace. Oh yeah, like I, I wrote, I wrote some super cringy stuff on my GeoCities site. <laughs> 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 but I was expressing myself and it was great. You know, I, I loved it. So I think yeah. like, even like, I think somebody is going to build a new guest book system. Like we used to have those old guest books. Mm. I think there's something like that, that could make its way through the pop culture, especially with kids where that something like that will be cool again. Like something that feels old, feels kind of retro, but kids are like, Oh man, you got to leave a comment on my guest book. Um, I can see something in that vein becoming cool again. And, uh, I mean, you never know what it's going to be until it happens, but the, you know, I, yeah. I feel, and even looking at card, uh, uh C-A-R-R-D you know, these simple mm -hmm. one page sites, I think like the number one user of it is BTS fans. You know, that, that <laughs> I think it's a Korean pop group, like they build like thousands and thousands of pages on there like just 
MySpace style fan pages that, you know, people just want to add GIFs and, and, you know, have fun with it. Yeah. The web lost a lot of its like personalization feel yeah. from the old days. And uh, yeah, I could definitely see that coming back. Well, if anyone has any ideas, DM, DM me <laughs> and then I'll tell Taylor the best ones. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, this has been great to catch up, man. Um, yeah, I think I, we've got a little bit about how you work, a little bit of uh, future full stack web developer. This is good, man. I'm, yeah. I, I should have yeah, you back in, in a couple months because I think this evolution with you, like pushing yourself this way. Um, talking on the phone. Talking on the phone. That'll be interesting. <laughs> and how you solve it. There's lots of ways to solve it. You know, like that. what's worked well for John and I is that we are just yin and yang, you know, like I, the stuff I get fired up about, like I, I love our Thursday meetings and you know, when I, when I'm there, I generally am kind of guiding them. I just kind of naturally fall into that, that space. And it's nice to have this back and forth with us where we can do that, where he, you know, he knows he can release a feature and I'm just like, it's like, what does he call it? He's like, he's just unleashing, you know, the Justin dragon or whatever, you know, like I just want to get out and promote it. Yeah. There's, there's different ways to do it, you know? Yeah, that's true. And we'll see, we'll see where, you know, like our groove settles into, but it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Great talking. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks. See ya. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.